If you got your Bibles, uh, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different uh, maybe for you guys to, to come in here and uh, number one, see me up on stage, and then number two, see me sitting down as I speak. It's just, um, just something I do over there. It's just kind of a more relaxed atmosphere with our teenagers, um, so don't freak out on me. I'm, I, I do stand up and, 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 and go at it. Second uh, Ch- Samuel chapter 23. Tonight, I want to talk to you guys, if, you're, if you are taking notes, I want to talk to you about being a lion chaser, not lion like you liar. A lion like, like that kind of lion. I want to talk to you about this man in the Bible that when when you read the Bible, most of the time when you read it, there's certain stories of the Bible that seem to just jump out at you. And and they really minister to your heart. Well, this man that we're going to study tonight, in his life, he's mentioned in the Bible three different times. And each time it was in one verse. And that's it. So he's got three verses out of the entire Bible. So he's not mentioned really a whole lot. It's one of those stories that when you read, it's kind of you, you just skim over it and you don't really get a whole lot out of it at the get-go. You just kind of ignore it. But this guy, he, he, he did some incredible stuff in his life. And, and, and it just ministered to me so much that I just really wanted to pour my heart out to you guys tonight on how it ministered to me. In 2 Samuel 23, in verse 20 is what we'll pick up. It says, Benaiah, son of... Jehoiada, or however you say that name, son of that guy, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two greatest warriors. Stop right there. Okay, get this. There's this guy named Benaiah, which I think is just a cool name to begin with. So Benaiah is just an average man, 5'8", 5'9", 180 pounds, something like that. Well, he's going to battle these two warriors from Moab. And the Bible in there, it doesn't say that it was a tag team match. It doesn't say that these warriors came along and that Benaiah was here and one guy was here and then those two fought. Benaiah killed this guy and then the other guy came in. It says that he fought two of Moab's greatest warriors, which means he was double teamed. Which means he was fighting somebody on this side and had another guy on this side and was fighting them both at the same time. And this guy kills him. He faces two guys and destroys both of them. Reading on, it says, He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Verse 21, this was, this was really cool. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. In First Chronicles, it, it, it talks about Benaiah. This is the other time that it talks about Benaiah in the Bible. In, in, in First Chronicles, and it talks about this small battle between this huge Egyptian and Benaiah. And in First Chronicles, it actually says how tall this huge Egyptian is. So here's Benaiah, 5'8", 5'9", 180 pounds, and the giant that he was fighting is 7 feet 6 inches tall. That's a monster. This is, this is huge. And so here comes Benaiah getting ready to fight this huge giant that is seven feet, six inches tall. And the Bible says that the the giant had a spear. Now, if you're seven feet, six inches tall, the spear that you have is not going to be this big. I mean, when you're seven feet, six inches tall, you're going to have like a fence post for a spear. So this guy had this huge spear, and it says that Benaiah comes up with a club. Benaiah is the one that had the stick. And these two go at it, and they fight. And what blows my mind is that that if if this was like a boxing match, and it was the tail of the tape, you would look and, and, and think, okay, seven foot, six inches, probably about 380, 390 pounds against five foot eight, five foot nine, 180 pounds. 
Which one are you going to bet on? Obviously, most people are going to say, well, the seven-foot, six-inch giant with the spear, not the guy with a stick in his hand. And so they fight it out, and what blows my mind is that Benaiah somehow gets in close enough to this huge Egyptian giant that he manages to rip the spear out of his hands, turn around, and kill the man with his own spear. Now, to me, I'm thinking, forget UFC champion, man. This guy is the man. I mean, he can kill two Moab warriors that were the greatest they had, a seven-foot, six-inch giant with his own weapon, this guy was tough. He was something else. There was a couple of other facts that, that in studying Benaiah that I saw. That one, one fact about him is that he was one of the top five soldiers in Israel. In all of Israel, all of the soldiers, the thousands and thousands that they had, he was one of the top five soldiers that was in that Israel, the Israel army. In First Chronicles, King David, he makes this list of all of his mighty warriors is what he calls them. These are the best of the best. The guys that King David says, these guys are top dogs. And Benaiah is one of them that he lists in there. He was the captain of, of King David's military, of his, of his bodyguards. So you've got the king that rules this huge territory. And Benaiah is the captain of the people who protect the king. I, 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 I just imagine, you know... Sitting back and thinking, okay, what was it like when, when the king came to that point in his life when he says, I need to find somebody that will be the captain of the people who are going to protect me. And he's like looking through all these, all these uh, resumes of, of different people and stuff. And he's looking and he's like, okay, there's this um, intern at a security company in Jerusalem. No. Uh, this guy's got a master's degree in security at the University of Armored Chariots. No. And then he gets to Benaiah's resume. And he looks at it and he says, okay, your resume here, Benaiah, it says that you killed uh, two of Moab's greatest warriors. Is that true? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, I took them down. It, it also says that you killed a huge Egyptian. How tall was this Egyptian? He was seven feet, six inches tall. I killed him. It doesn't say on there, but I killed him with, with his own spear. It also says on here that, that you killed a lion in a snowy day in a pit. But I says, yeah, yeah, I did that. It's no big deal. And I imagine King David sits back and he looks and he's like, you're hired. I'll take you. I mean, that's somebody that I would want protecting me as the king is the man who does all of these things. This guy was tough. He was also the general later on in life. He was the general of one of the armies. He had this huge amount of responsibility in his life. And so it got me thinking, what, what things did he do that got him here, that he had so much responsibility in his life? And I think, it, I think it's this right here. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 23, at the end of verse 20, we already read it, but we just kind of skimmed over this part. In verse 20, towards the end, it says, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. Now think about this. Usually when that happens, if you come face to face with a lion, with this, with this man-eating beast that, is, that outweighs you by 200 pounds, and, and if, if, if it manages to close its mouth around your head, it can crush every single bone in your body. With one swipe of its claw, it can totally rip you open and just spill everything out. The Bible says that he went into the pit on a snowy day with a lion and he killed it. And normal people would look and, and they would take off running. 
they would go in the opposite direction, get as far away as they possibly could from this lion. Normal people will run away from a lion, but, but not a lion chaser. A lion chaser will stand and fight. I imagine the, the guys, if there was anybody, it doesn't say if there was anybody with Benaiah when he sees that lion, but I imagine it's something like this, that if he's walking along with his friends in the woods or in the forest or in the jungle or wherever he is, and he's walking along and he's got some buddies along with him and he looks and he sees this lion standing right in front of him, I imagine all of his buddies take off running. And as they're running away, they're, they're heading in the opposite direction. They turn around and look and see Beniah looking at the lion going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. And everybody else took off running. And Beniah, he stood his ground. So I, I imagine, and maybe this is, this is why I'm the youth pastor, is I've got, the, I've got a huge, massive imagination. And so every time I read the scripture, I always play it out in my head like if it's just, you know, a movie, and I'm watching it on a huge screen TV, surround sound, and HD, and all this stuff, and it just, it just makes it more real. And so I started thinking, okay, how would this story play out when he's in the pit with a lion on a snowy day? And I started thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is what I imagine happening, is that he's walking along, just minding his own business. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees something crawling and moving. And he turns to look to see what it is. And his, his vision is obscured just a little bit because it's snowing. So he can't see anything, and he squats down to kind of see what it is. And all of a sudden, he realizes it's a lion. And he catches eyes with that lion. And they're just sitting there looking at each other just focused on each other. And all you see is those, those, those eyes of the lion just locked in on you. And as we're all in the theater, we're watching this on this huge screen TV, you can hear his heart getting louder and louder. You can see as the camera zooms in, just his muscles begin to tense up and his, his eyes begin to dilate and he's just staring that lion down. And they're just, it's just the two of them. And they're just looking, there's this rush of adrenaline and as, as we're sitting in the theater, our hands are gripping the armrests and our knuckles are getting white because of the scene is getting so intense. You're just squeezing it with everything you've got and your knuckles become white. This blood pressure escalates and with the surround sound, you can almost feel it and it makes your heart just go boom, boom, boom. And it just gets louder and louder. And me and the the, the rest of you guys that are in the audience as they're sitting there looking at each other, that we, 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 we wait in anticipation what's going to happen. What are they going to do? Benaiah, he sits there and he starts to walk around and they begin to pace at each other and they're just looking at each other. They're just looking, going back and forth, just staring at each other's eyes, never taking their eyes off of each other. And all of a sudden, the ground that the line is on, it begins to, to kind of shift and move, and, and, and it kind of opens up and creates this little hole, and the line makes this, this critical mistake, falls into the hole, and, he, and it disappears inside the hole. And almost like if, if Benaiah is walking on, on thin ice, he, he slowly creeps up to the edge of the, of the hole, the edge of that pit, and he looks down, and all he sees is blackness, just complete darkness. And then all of a sudden, the, iron, the lion's eyes open up, and it's these bright, yellow, menacing, piercing eyes staring back at him. And at that point, as we're watching the movie, as he's sitting there over it, most of us are thinking kind of the same thing. 
Benaiah, he's trapped. He's not going to hurt you anymore. Just walk away. And for a split second, Benaiah has that opportunity as he's looking down to catch reality and, and get a glimpse of his future and realize, okay, what are the consequences if I jump in and, and this isn't normal if I go ahead and do this? What, what's reality here? Well, reality is that normal people don't chase lions. Normal people will walk away. And so as he's looking over, Benaiah turns and he starts to walk away from the lion. And the rest of us that are sitting in the crowd, it's, it's a sigh of relief of just, that was close. And Benaiah just keeps walking away and the camera pans out and it just shows him walking away and then he stops for a split second. And then, and then the, us that are watching the movie, we realize he wasn't walking away from the lion. He turns around and he takes a running start jumps up and as if in slow motion, it catches him in slow motion, flying through the air. The camera pans out and he gets swallowed by this hole and he's, as he falls in and all of a sudden his whole body just disappears. And then out of the surround sound, all you hear is this, this, this roar, this, this loud, powerful roar of the lion. Screams coming from Benaiah and the nails of the lion just rushing up against skin and you can hear tearing of clothes and, and his claws are, are, are scratching the side of the wall. And then all of a sudden there's silence and nothing. And as we sit in, in the movie, we're sitting there watching, waiting, who's going to come out? And right at that minute, this, this, this hand comes up from the top of the pit. And then another hand comes up. And Benaiah lifts himself up out of the pit. And as he comes up, he's got claw marks all over him. And he's bleeding a little bit. But you know what the thing is? Is he's victorious. He's scratched up. He's bruised. He's hurt. But he's victorious. It's a pretty intense scene. David, if you got that, that video, if you want to get that video ready, it, it's a really intense scene in, in my mind. And I thought, there, there's got to be some way to actually show you how intense it was. And so I found this clip that I want to show you guys. So David, if you want to go ahead and, and show that. Well, don't do that. Normal people don't go and, and face their fears. Normal people, when they face this lion in life, normal people will turn and run the other way. Normal people, when a circumstance comes up and an issue comes up in their life, a lot of times we tend to just lay down and just let it have its way with us and let it just destroy our family and destroy our life. Normal people won't stop and fight. That's why with everything inside me, I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be a normal person that is going to let the world just kick me around, going to let the enemy kick me around and have its way with me. I don't want to be normal. My question for you tonight is this. What lion do you have in your life that you need to face? What fear do you have in your life that you need to face? What is it that for years or, or maybe just weeks or for days, this lion's face is just staring you right in the eyes. It's like it's, it's those yellow eyes are just piercing into your soul and for some reason we back off. What lion in your life do you need to face? I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we need to go over to Amarillo and jump the fence of the lion cage and go in there and kill a lion and come out and be like, Pastor Jimmy said it's all right. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that there, there, there's fear in your life that stops you from doing something. What is that fear? 
It's not a fear of spiders. It's not a fear of going to the doctor. It's not that kind of fear. Maybe it's, it's, it's a fear of, of doing something that God has called you to do. Maybe it's like God is calling you to trust him. And for some reason, you have this fear in your life to trust God. Well, God, I only make X amount of money, and you want me to tithe off of that? You want me to give 10% of that? God, do you know that if I do that, I'm not going to have enough money to, to pay my bills. I'm not going to have enough money to do anything else, God. And you want me to trust you with that? It's a fear that we have that this lion is facing us. God, you want me to trust you with, with my children, they're making poor decisions right now. They're, they're having a hard time as, as teenagers, and you want me to trust you, and, and, and you want me to take them into fusion? Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy's kind of, he's a little off. You want me to trust that he's going to take care of them? And it's like this lion is, is facing you. God, you want me to give you everything? All, all that is me, God, you want me to give you Everything? You know why, why most people don't want to give God everything? They don't want to give God their marriage, their anger, their jealousy, their lust, their pride, their hatred, their bitterness, whatever it is. They don't want to give God everything. They'll give God 99% and then they hold this one thing back for some reason. You want to know why most people don't want to give God everything that is in them? This is what I feel. It's because they're afraid to hear what God is going to ask them to do once they give everything. When you come to God and you say, God, I give you everything, all of my worship, all of my praise, my finances are yours, my family is yours, my marriage is yours, my bitterness is yours, my anger is yours, my jealousy, my pride, everything is all yours, God. God is going to say, man, I'm so glad that I have your heart. I'm so glad that I have your life. Now, why don't you try and, and start tithing? Say, what? Why don't, why don't you, you know, that relationship that you're in, it's, 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 not, it's not the best. It's headed in the wrong direction, but God... He's fine. God, you, you want me to give up. Okay, God, hold up. You want me to give up my Monday, my Tuesday, my Thursday, my Friday, my Saturday to you? I'm already at church every Sunday and Wednesday. What more do you want? God, you want me to give everything to you? Most people will not give everything to God because they're afraid of, to hear what God is going to ask them to do after they give everything to God. What has fear kept you from doing that God is calling you to do? What is fear? What line in your life? What has it kept you from doing that God has called you to do? The one thing that I learned about, about Benaiah here in studying this, I just have one main point if you're taking notes. This is the one thing that you write down. If you're not taking notes, this is the one thing that you walk out saying, okay, I remember this. The one thing about a lion chaser Somebody who will not back down from no matter what issue or lion is in their life is this. They realize that the bigger their God is, the smaller their lion becomes. The bigger your God is, the smaller your lion, whatever it is, the smaller your lion becomes. The problem is, is that too many of us, we look at our lions first. We look at our circumstances, we look at our issues, we look at the things that are going on in the natural, we look at the things that are happening right in front of our eyes, rather than looking to God and saying, God, you're a big God and you are bigger than my lion. And we got it the other way around and all of a sudden our lion becomes a pack of lions. And it totally overtakes us because we never looked at God. Because we never decided how big our God is. 
You know, there's this, there's this guy in the Bible that, that, I don't know, maybe some of you have heard of. He's, he's kind, of, kind of famous. His name's Daniel. There was one point in Daniel's life where the king comes and says, look, I don't want anybody to pray. Nobody's going to be praying to your God anymore. You're going to be praying to me. You're going to be praying to my God. And it's going to be no other way. So everybody stops praying except Daniel. And he keeps on praying to his God. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 20 uh, through 22, it says, when, when he came near, so he gets thrown into a lion's head because he keeps, he keeps on praying. So the king is like, well, throw him, throw him with the lions. Let him die. We're, we're sticking on a lion theme tonight. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20, it says, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. This is the king. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lion? Daniel keeps on praying, and so this king throws him into the lion's den, and he's expecting Daniel to be eaten alive by all these lions. And so the next day, the king comes along and looks through this little plexiglass window and is in there and is like, hey, Daniel, you in there? Did the lions kill you? You still alive? In verse 21, Daniel answered, and he said, my king, live forever. Verse 22, he says, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lion and they have not hurt me. Daniel knew who his God was. Daniel was thrown in with the lions, and he knew who his God was. He said, my God saved me. You see, the problem is that most people know about God, but they don't know God. They know that there's a supernatural being, but they don't know the supernatural being. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. That's part of our problem sometimes. We know about him, but we don't know him. We don't know what he thinks of us. We don't know who he is to us. You see, my God, he's, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's my God. He is the Almighty. He's the one who gives strength to those who, who are weak. He is invincible. He can be here. He can be there. He is perfect. Nothing can ever stop him. He is my God he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is my God. See, I know who my God is. The big question is, do you know about God or do you know God? In Psalms 97.1, out of the message, it says this. It says, my God rules. And that's something we're shouting about. You see, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we as a church, I don't think we get it. It says, my God rules over me, over you, over them, over that person, over the entire earth. My God rules, and nothing can stop Him, and that's something we're shouting about. I give praise to my God, and I know who He is, and I know what He's capable of doing. That's why when lions come into my life, and I'm saying, I, I get lions, I'm a human being, I'm just like, I'm just like everybody. But my God is bigger than my lions. And I choose to look at my God first. So the big question is, who is he to you? Do you, do you know him that way? You see, you, you, you as a human being, you weren't created to live in fear. We're not created to live in fear. Fear thou not, for I am with thee, is what Isaiah 41.10 says. Fear not, for I am with thee. God is with you. We have nothing to, to live in fear, but Satan somehow, he takes our fears and it stops us from doing what it is that God has called us to do. It's time for us to face our lions 
to stop running in the other direction and face the problem, face the situation. The bigger your God is, the smaller your line becomes. See, if, if Benaiah would have allowed fear to come into his life, whenever those two Moab warriors, the greatest warriors that Moab had, if they would have come up and Benaiah would have allowed fear to overtake him and say, I'm outnumbered, the odds are against me, there's no way I can do this, and he didn't rely on God, he would have been wiped out or he would have just ran the other way. When a seven foot six inch Egyptian giant comes along with a huge spear the size of a fence post and all you have is a stick in your hand, that's a pretty big lion facing you. And he kills him with his own spear. When Benaiah is walking along, minding his own business on a snowy day, and he comes across a lion in a pit, and he jumps into the pit and he kills him, that's facing a literal lion, and he faced it and killed it. I believe that's what, what Benaiah did in his life to get him to the point that he was, where he was the top five soldiers in Israel, where he was the captain of King David's bodyguards, where he was one of King David's mighty men. He had all this responsibility that was put on his life because I believe he had a lion in his life and he faced it and he fought with the strength of God behind him because he looked and said, I know who my God is and my God is bigger than my lion." So many times we want God-given opportunities in our lives, God-given blessings, God-given memories and stories in our lives, but we don't want to face lions. We want it the easy way, the easy way out. God, bless me the easy way out. And God says, look, I want to bless your life. I want to take you down a path in your life, and I want to use you in a tremendous way, and I want to do these miraculous things in your life where people are going to look and be like, there's no way that you could have done this on your own, and you can sit back and say, no, you're right. It wasn't me. It was God that did it through me. God wants to get you to those points, and he says, I'm going to get you there, but look, along the way, you're going to face lions in your life. But take heed. I'm with you. God says, I'll, I'll, I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. I'll help you face these lions. And together, we will do this. But it takes us not running the other way, but knowing how big he is and how small our lion is. One of the greatest moments in my, in my life, other than being married and having my two girls, one of the greatest memories that I have that was a God-given memory and a God-given opportunity was before I was pastoring, before I even started preaching anywhere, Amy's uncle pastors a church uh, outside of a, a Lubbock, a real small city, and he calls me out of nowhere and says, we'd like for you to come and preach at a revival that we're having. So, of course, I'm just like... All right, whatever. So I start studying, I start praying, I start fasting, and I'm just, God, I'm just going to trust you. And it was like this little lion was facing me because I'd never really preached before. And this lion was facing me. So I'm driving over there. We get to the, we get to the little church for the revival, and I go into a back room, and I start praying, and I'm just saying, God, I need your help. I need you to help me in this. I need you to speak through me. And, and her uncle walks into the room that I'm praying in, and he says, okay, I'm really excited that you came to be at our revival. This is the last night. We've got a good, good group out there. And of course, that lion just got bigger in my mind because I'm like, okay, um, you said a lot of people, so that freaked me out. And then you said there, uh, that it's the last night of, rev of a revival. Well, no, most of the time at a revival, the last speaker is somebody who's just like, bam, you know, the power of God just comes. And I'm just like, but it's just me. And I'm doing the last night of this revival. So all of a sudden, this this lion in my life got bigger and bigger. 
And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I've, I've got my message. I'm all prayed up, man. Let's do this. And he says, great. And he says, oh, I, I, I hope Amy told you, but um, just to let you know, most of our members, they don't understand English. They, they only speak Spanish. So I'm like, I mean, I'm Mexican and all, but I don't speak Spanish. I'm like a coconut. I'm like brown on the outside and white in the middle. And so I'm like, I don't speak any Spanish, Lord. What, what am I going to do? And so all of a sudden, that lion just got huge. And so I was like, man, God, you're going to have to do something here because I don't know what to do. So I get out there and I put my notes up on the podium and I just start preaching in English because that's all I know to do. And so I'm preaching my heart out and I'm, I'm hoping that they're getting it. Well, the, the revival is over and, and, and I prayed for people at the altar in English because that's all I know. And so at the end, this little old lady comes up to me. And she starts talking to me in Spanish. And, you know, I tried to be polite and nice. And I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I didn't know what she was saying. And I was just nodding my head and smiling. And I didn't want to be rude. So I was just like, ma'am, 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 I, I don't understand Spanish. I'm sorry. And so I call Amy over because she, she can speak a little bit more Spanish than, than what I can. So they start talking to each other and she interprets to me. And the little old lady says that the, the message was so good. She enjoyed it so much. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Then a little old man comes up and he starts talking to me in Spanish and I'm like, people, I don't speak Spanish. So then they start communicating to each other, my wife and this little man, and she turns to me and she says, this little man, he, he's saying that he, he really enjoyed your message and administered to him so much. And she started telling me the things that he was saying, which he was saying, the things that I was saying in my message. And I was like, what? And then another person came up and it was the same exact thing. And they told me what I was saying in my message. And after a while, I started putting two and two together, and the more people kept coming up, I realized that somewhere from, from my brain and in my heart when I was talking while it was in midair, the voice that was coming out, God somehow got it and, and, and moved it around and transformed it to every single person that was in there heard Spanish. Every single person. And if I would have sat in that room and thought, these lions are too big in my life. I'm done. Amy, here's my notes. If I wouldn't have faced that lion... I would have never had one of the greatest memories and greatest God-given opportunities in my life. I mean, how cool and how awesome that you speak English and, and I'm speaking English to you and you hear it in Spanish or in your native language. That's a God-given moment that God said, okay, you faced your lion, now I'm going to use you. Fear will rob us from some of the most powerful and monumental things that God is wanting to do in our life when we don't face our lions. If I would have backed off, I would have never had that victory in my life. It was almost like from that point on, God just put me in a slingshot and shot me off in a direction in life that I never thought that I would be. I never in a million years thought that I would be here tonight. Over there, every single Wednesday, ministering to, to 70, 80 teenagers. Every single Wednesday. I was a student that when it came to giving an oral exam, I said, give me a C, here's my notes, because I'm not speaking in front of anybody. And I faced my lions, and God just shot me off in a direction in life that I never thought I would be, because I stood and I realized my God is bigger than any lion that will ever come my way. You guys close your eyes with me. Father God, I know.